with a question. The question is, why is the church in our nation largely ineffective at reaching our nation? You know we're losing our nation, right? Why is the church largely ineffective at impacting the losses in our world? Why are there still billions of people that live in unreached, unengaged people groups, having never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's the issue? Why are we largely ineffective? Well, I would submit to you that it's not a resource problem, is it? We have resources in our churches like we've never had before. We've got buildings, and we've got budgets, and we've got buses. I mean, we've got all of these tremendous resources, and yet we're losing our nation. Not a resource problem. Is it a, an issue with Christian education in our churches? We have more access to Christian education, Bible information, than we've ever had in the history of Christianity. If you go to a Christian bookstore or go online to a website, you can find study Bibles for children and study Bibles for teenagers and study Bibles for adults and books and guides and DVDs and free websites and all of these resources that will help us to learn more about God and His Word. I would submit to you, we have plenty of educational opportunities out there. You say, well, is it a question of programming? Do we have enough programs? We've got all kinds of programs in churches today, don't we? All all sorts of things, all kinds of different things that we offer, and yet we're losing our nation. So why is the church largely ineffective at reaching the nation and impacting the lostness around the world. I would submit to you that the major issue is this. We have lost our amazement. We're simply not that impressed by Jesus anymore. We think that Jesus should be impressed by us. When in reality, we ought to be the ones impressed and amazed and in awe of him. And there's a direct correlation, I'm going to show you this morning, between being amazed by Jesus and sharing Jesus with a lost and dying and disintegrating culture. And I want to show you this connection in Mark chapter 1. So turn there with me, Mark chapter 1. We begin this series leading up to our great, uh, our global impact conference. Hopefully you read day number one this morning of the devotional. But I want to talk to you about being amazed. Being amazed. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 21. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Bible says, And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. Notice that they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Now watch this connection. And at once his fame spread everywhere. His fame spread everywhere. Did you, did you see it? His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it is a great privilege, again, to be in your presence. And now, Lord, we come to this time expectantly. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us by your word. Applied to our hearts by your Spirit. Lord, we don't want to simply go through the motions and acquire more head information. Lord, we want to encounter the living God and walk away having experienced life transformation. So Lord, have your way in our midst. Touch our hearts. Change our lives for the glory, the renown, the fame of your name. Lord, establish my steps today in your word and we ask and pray all of this. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark gets right to the three years of public ministry that occurred at the end of Jesus' life on the earth before his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension back to the Father. And he tells us that Jesus calls some disciples. And then in verse 21, he tells us they were in Capernaum, which is there on the Sea of Galilee. And this was sort of the, the home base for Jesus, the, the center of ministry operations for Jesus during his three-year public ministry. And it tells us that when he was in Capernaum on the Sabbath, he is found teaching. And as the people in the, the synagogue have an encounter with Jesus, they are amazed by Jesus. And so I want to talk to you about two characteristics of people in God's Word that we see when they encounter Jesus. Two characteristics of people uh, that we see when they encounter Jesus. First of all, they were amazed by Jesus. When someone had an encounter with Jesus, they walked away amazed. It says there uh, in verse 21, it says, He entered the synagogue. And was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. And then later on in this passage, it uses the word, they were all amazed. So they had this encounter up close and personal with Jesus, and they were amazed. Now, what amazed people about Jesus? Well, first of all, people were amazed by his preaching. This passage we just read, the Bible says they never heard someone teach with this kind of authority. And, and they heard this preaching, this, this authority, this 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 poignancy, this power, and they were just amazed by his preaching. And then they saw him cast out a demon, and then he kept on teaching. And they, they, they said, we've never seen anyone teach God's word with this kind 
of powers. They were amazed by his preaching, amazed by his teaching, but they were also amazed by his power. As we journey through the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus displays his power in various ways. First of all, we see his power over nature. In Mark chapter 4, we find the disciples and Jesus in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a great windstorm comes up, and the waves get bigger, and water begins to fill the boat. And the disciples, many of them seasoned fishermen, know we are in trouble. This isn't good. And so they began to look to, to Jesus for some help. You know what Jesus is doing? He was asleep. He was, he was, he was asleep in the boat. And they, they go to him and say, wake up, Jesus. Don't you care that we are perishing? So he gets up and he speaks to the wind. And he speaks to the waves. He says, peace be still. And everything stops blowing. That is power, right? That he can speak to nature and nature obeys. And they were amazed by his power over the natural order. It says in verse 41 of chapter 4 that they uh, were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We also see that people were amazed by his power over demons. If you go right into chapter 5, you see that that Jesus comes to the uh, country of the Gerasenes across the Sea of Galilee. And as he gets there, he's encountered by a demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs and was tormenting the people in that area. They didn't know what to do with this demon-possessed man and, and all of his eccentricities and, and all the different ways that the demon is trying to destroy him. But Jesus encounters him, and Jesus casts the demon out of the man. And look what it says uh, in verse 20. He went away, this demon-possessed man, healed from the demon possession. He was cast out of him by Jesus. And he began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for them. And everyone marveled. They saw this man who had previously been possessed by a demon. His life was falling apart. He was being destroyed by Satan. But then, when people see him in his right mind, telling people about Jesus Christ, they marveled. That Jesus was able to come and set this man free. His power over the demonic realm. Hey, by the way, if Satan is having his way in your life, if his demons are tormenting you and destroying you and you're tired of being chewed up and spit out by the enemy, how, why don't you call out to Jesus? He's the one with power over the demonic realm. But third, people are amazed by his power over death. His power over death in chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, Jesus gets word from a synagogue official named Jairus that his daughter was very, very ill to the point of death. And so Jesus begins to journey to uh, see this 12-year-old girl on his way. He encounters another woman with an issue of blood. He heals her and speaks with her. And while he's speaking with her, someone comes up and says, Jesus, it's too late. Don't worry about coming to Jairus' house. His daughter is dead. Well, Jesus goes anyway. And he goes into the house and he goes into the little girl's room. And look what it says in chapter 5, verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you what? What's the word there? Arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. See that? They saw his power over death itself, and they were amazed by his 
power. So we see consistently in the Bible that when people encounter Jesus in a real way, they walk away from that encounter amazed. But there's a second characteristic we see. Not only were people amazed, but they would then tell others about Jesus. They would tell others about Jesus. Back in Mark chapter 1, you you saw that connection where they're amazed by his authoritative teaching. And in verse 28 it says, At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding areas. People were saying, we heard this man teach like no one we've ever heard before. He was casting out demons. He was in control. I mean, there was something about his teaching. And they began to tell people, and his fame began to spread. So people were amazed, and then they began to tell others about their experience. Now, here's what's interesting. We see in the Gospel of Mark that some were commanded by Jesus to tell others about him. For example, turn over to Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. The man that was possessed by a demon and Jesus cast the demon out. Look what it says in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Now that's admirable, is it not? Admirable. Jesus had set this man free. So of course he wants to be with Jesus. The one who had set him free from from demonic oppression and demonic possession and demonic bondage. He He said, I want to be with you, Jesus. But look what Jesus says in the next verse. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And look, he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus says, go and tell your story. Go and tell others what you've encountered. And that's what this man did. But it's also interesting to note that some were commanded by Jesus to keep silent. When they encountered Jesus and were amazed by Jesus, Jesus would often say, shh, don't tell anyone. Look over in Mark chapter 5, verse 42. Jairus' daughter, immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So this girl is raised by Jesus from the dead. Amazing encounter with, with Jesus. And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, scholars call this the messianic secret. Jesus understood the people in this day and time. They had a fierce nationalism, and they were looking for a a warrior king type of Messiah that was going to lead the nation of Israel to overthrow Roman bondage and oppression. And so Jesus knew that in certain places, if certain word got out about certain things that he did, a mob would come and clamor for him to be king, and they would make him king by force. You can read about that over in Luke chapter 4. That's exactly what one mob tried to do. They tried to make Jesus king by force. But Jesus was not a Messiah that was going to lead in a military overthrow. Jesus came to be a suffering servant. He came to go to the cross and die for our sins. And he knew that if word got out in certain areas about certain things, then the masses would distract him from his mission. 
So there are times when he says, shh, don't say anything. Look over in Mark chapter 7. Same thing happens here. Jesus heals a man who is deaf and who could not talk. It says in verse 35, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Look in verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus said, Shh, don't tell anyone what happened, but they would go and tell people. Now, that's direct disobedience. Jesus said, don't do it, and they did it. He said, don't, don't tell anyone about me right now, but they went and told folks about him. That's disobedience. But isn't it ironic that in the Bible... Jesus tells people not to share him with others, and they do. But in today's time, Jesus commands us to share him with others, and we don't. There's no secret anymore. The work of redemption has been accomplished fully by Christ. He, he came to this earth. He, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He, he defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. There's good news. Jesus saves, right? And there's no secret. It's all been done. Jesus wants us to tell. But here's the ironic thing. The command is clear and we stay silent. In this day and time, Jesus said, don't share. And they did. In the Bible... But in today's time, he says, share, and we don't. But we know that people were amazed by Jesus, and then in a very natural way, they would tell others about Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to get. There's a direct correlation, a direct connection between being amazed by Jesus and telling others about Jesus. It's all throughout God's Word. People are amazed they encounter Christ, and very naturally, they want to tell somebody else. They, they, they can't believe how awesome Christ is, and it's just a very uh, logical next step for them to go tell somebody about it. A direct connection. Which leads to this question for all of us to consider. Am I so amazed by Jesus that I can't help but tell others about him? Am I so amazed by Jesus that I can't help but tell others about him? You say, wait, I'm not there. I, I don't share Jesus with other people. I don't talk about him with other people. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just not there. I, I've lost my wonder. I've lost my awe. To be honest with you, Wade, I don't think about Jesus much during the week. And so, no, I don't talk about him very often. Which leads us to this question that I want to consider for our time together this morning. How can we be amazed by Jesus, and listen, stay amazed by Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't want you to be amazed just on Sunday morning. Can I get an amen? Jesus wants you to be amazed by him on Mondays too. And in the home, and in the workplace, and among family, and among friends. He wants you to live amazed by Jesus. Because when you are amazed by Jesus, you will not be able to help but talk about him to others. So how can we be amazed and stay amazed by Jesus? Let me give you four thoughts, and we'll 
close down our time together. Number one, know who he is. Know who he is. Many times our perception of Jesus is so watered down by secular culture that portrays Jesus in certain ways or in certain veins. And we, we lose sight of the biblical Jesus Christ. We, we're convinced from, from the idea of our uh, godless culture that Jesus was just you know, kind of a, another good moral teacher, just kind of an important rabbi in the first century. And, and we just think he was kind of this kind of weak character kind of walking around and kind of doing some teaching and doing some good things, but, but he wasn't really that impressive. That's, that's the lie that our secular culture sells about Jesus Christ. But what does the Bible say about Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, look there in your notes. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Colossians 2.9 says this, that, that in Christ, listen, the fullness of deity, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Isn't that awesome? That's who Jesus is. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I love that song in Christ alone when it says, fullness of God in helpless babe. You see, Jesus Christ has always existed, right? He's eternal. There's never been a time when Jesus Christ has not existed, but there was a time in human history when Jesus left the splendor and the glory of heaven and came to this earth and took on frail humanity. And that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. Fully God, divine, fully human. He took on human flesh. Now here's here's what that means for us. Jesus is divine creator and sustainer of all things. Because he's God, he's the creator and sustainer of all things. Turn to Hebrews with me, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Look what it says in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets... But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so the Bible tells us that God the Father created the world through the agency, through the power of God the Son, Jesus Christ. That's breathtaking, is it not? That Jesus Christ created everything in our universe. But not only did he create everything, look what it says in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Watch this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only did Jesus Christ make it all, he holds it all together. Wow. That's who Jesus is as God, the creator and sustainer of all things. But he's also fully human. Which leads us to this implication. Jesus is human and he died in our place. Some may ask the question, wait, why did Jesus leave the unceasing worship and adoration of heaven and come to this earth and take on the frailty of our humanity? Why did he do that? The answer is he did it for you and for me. You see, 
We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We've all rebelled against a perfectly holy God. And our sin separates us from God. So our only hope is that someone takes our punishment for us. And for Jesus to justly take our punishment, he had to be human. To die in the place of other humans. Last time I checked, you're a bunch of humans and I'm human too, right? And we have rebelled against God. So Jesus had to take on humanity to die in our place. 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul says, here's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He took on humanity so he could take the punishment that you and I deserve. He took on all of our sin, all of our filth, all of our wickedness, and died in our place. Wow! What amazing love. And so if you've lost your amazement at who Jesus Christ is, remember that he is the God-man. Fully God. Creator. Sustainer of the universe. Worthy of worship and honor and glory. Fully man, the one who took on humanity to die in your place. The the sacrifice for sinners. Praise Jesus Christ. There's none like him. There's none but him. He's the only hope for humanity. Know who he is. That's just good old-fashioned Christology. Just know who he is. Know who he is. Get in the Word and study. Know who He is. Because if you know who He is, you can't help but be amazed by Him. Secondly, how can we be amazed by Jesus and stay amazed by Jesus? I want to encourage you to walk around with Jesus in the Gospels. Walk around with Jesus in the Gospels. The Bible is broken down into sections, and the first part of the New Testament is called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the fourth one? John. And these Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ during his time upon this earth before he, before he ascended back to the Father. Now, I had a professor in seminary say this, and it's always stuck with me. He said, you always need to be reading through the Gospels in your life. Because the Gospels are your opportunity, listen, to walk around with Jesus. That's always stuck with me. Every time I read the Gospel, I am walking around with Jesus. The Gospels give you a front row seat for the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So here's my admonition. Become familiar with the life and ministry of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. Now I want to be clear. The Gospels are not more important than the rest of the Bible because the entire Bible is God's Word. Genesis, the Revelation, has been breathed out by God through human instruments. So what we have in our Bible is truth with no mixture of error, right? The entire Bible is the Word of God. It's all equal because it's all from the heart of God. But I will say that this genre that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a unique opportunity, don't they? They give us the opportunity to just walk around with Jesus and see how he taught and what he did and how he ministered and how he changed the world during his brief stay upon this earth. So familiarize yourself with the Gospels. Read the Gospels. That's one reason I love 
the Bible reading plan that I use. I use the Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan. I'm reading from four different passages every day. And one of those passages is always from the Gospels. So I know that every year I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And every day of that year I'm going to read part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And read through the entire four Gospels and the rest of the Bible. I love that Bible reading because every day I'm walking around with Jesus. So make sure that whatever your Bible reading plan is, make sure you're spending time in the Gospels as you read the rest of God's Word. And as you read the Gospels, learn to imagine what it would have been like to experience Jesus during His time on the earth. I want to encourage you to use your sanctified imagination. As you're reading the Gospels, actually put yourselves in the shoes of the people that are encountering Jesus. What would it have been like to be that man on the side of the road that could not talk and could not hear? And Jesus walks up and touches him, and all of a sudden he can hear perfectly and he can speak. Can you imagine that feeling of being healed by the Messiah himself? Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine the emotion of that moment? What would it have been like to be in the boat when Jesus stood up and said to the the wind and the waves, peace, be still, and everything stopped? Can you imagine being in that moment? Oh, what would it have been like to, to be there on that mountain when Jesus taught that wonderful lesson we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? Put yourself in the place of the people in the Bible, in the Gospels, and they will come alive in your heart and your mind. Walk around with Jesus in the Gospels. Question, if Jesus appeared in our midst in bodily form and said, hey, I want you to walk around with me today, would you do it? Would you? Well, of course we would. Listen, we have that opportunity to follow him every day by reading his account, the account of his life and ministry in the Gospels. Walk around with Jesus in the Gospels. Number three, how can we be amazed by Jesus and stay amazed by Jesus? Survey the wondrous cross. Survey the wondrous cross. Over in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul writes that the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, Paul's saying the, the message of the cross is front and center in my heart, in my affections, in my life, in my ministry. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, Paul said, here's my message. I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul loved to glory in the cross. He loved to focus upon the cross. He loved to talk about the cross. He loved to preach about the cross. And I believe that If we're going to be amazed by Jesus, we need to have this cross-centered focus. Focusing on the cross provides a continual reminder that Jesus paid it all to save you from your sins. Every time you think about the cross, you're reminded that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And every time you look at the cross, you're reminded that Jesus came to, to save you. He died in your place. What amazing grace. And so if you and I will look to the cross, if we'll survey the cross, I believe we will not be able to help but be amazed by the love of Jesus. C.J. Mahaney writes, In our busy lives, 
How can we more often be gripped by gratitude and inflamed in passion for the Savior? That's what we're talking about, right? How can we be, be more often gripped by gratitude and inflamed in passion for the Savior and cast off lukewarmness and dullness in our spiritual experience? For me, he writes, grace is never more amazing than when I'm looking intensely at the cross. And I believe the same will be true for every child of God. There's nothing more overpowering and captivating to the soul than to climb Calvary's mountain with childlike attentiveness and wonder with all the distractions and wrong assumptions cleared away. Did you hear that? There's nothing more overpowering and captivating to the soul than climbing Calvary's mountain to gaze at the cross. Say, wait, what does that look like in daily life? How do I survey the wondrous cross? Well, read the Bible. The Bible all points to the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. It's the apex of the glory of God. Read the Bible. Read books about the cross. Sing songs about the cross. On your commute to work, listen to music or sermons about the cross. Learn verses and memorize them about the cross. Meditate upon the cross, but think often and think deeply about the cross and and your affections for Jesus will be fanned into flame. You can't gaze at the cross without being amazed by Jesus. The old hymn says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Can I encourage you to survey the wondrous cross? There's one final thing I want you to see. Wait, how can I be amazed and stay amazed by Jesus. Know who he is. You need to have your Christology down, your, your, your theology of who Christ is. You need to survey the wondrous cross. You need to walk around with Jesus in the Gospels. But fourth and last, you need to learn to peer into the empty tomb. Peer into the empty tomb. Over in Mark chapter 16, we see the astonishment, the amazement as these ladies come to the tomb and they're told by angels, Jesus is not there. They go get Peter, come back. They look into the tomb. Jesus is not in the tomb. He had risen from the dead, just like he said he would. And we see in the first century, these these disciples, these followers of Jesus, simply overwhelmed that Jesus defeated death. Now I want you to know something. The fact that Jesus has risen from the dead is the cornerstone of our faith. There's a reason why in the book of Acts, when the disciples or the apostles are preaching, they they always mention the resurrection. Paul says over in Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, that, that if Christ had not been risen from the dead, we're still in our sins. You see, the resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God. And the resurrection proved that Jesus could do what he said he could do. That is, give us eternal life. Listen, how can a dead man give you eternal life? But he's not dead. The tomb is empty. He rose from the grave, appeared to his disciples, commissioned them to go and share the good news and make disciples all throughout the world. He rose from the grave. And listen, the power... The power displayed in the resurrection is breathtaking. Over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, 
I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know him better. I want to know him more. And he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, I want to experience the resurrection power of Jesus in a greater way in my life. Because the power that caused Jesus to be raised from the dead is is incredible power. It's available to his followers. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Listen to me. If you are living in resurrection power daily, you will be amazed by Jesus. So learn to just spend some time peering into the empty tomb. Go back to 2,000 years ago and just think about what it would have been like to peer into the empty tomb and see those grave clothes lying there and Jesus not being in that tomb. And then Jesus appearing to you, the risen Lord of the universe. Peer into the empty tomb. So all of these things... Knowing who he is, walking around with him in the Gospels, surveying the wondrous cross, peering in the empty tomb. These are all ways for you to experience Christ, right? And once you experience Christ in a, in a personal way, in a daily way, and you're amazed by him, you will not be able to help but to talk about him to others. So let me give you some, some clo- closing thoughts, some final thoughts, and we'll be through. First of all, when we are truly amazed by Jesus, evangelism, which means sharing the good news about Jesus, will take care of itself. When we are truly amazed by Jesus, evangelism will take care of itself. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am, I am grateful for evangelism training. I've been through a lot of different evangelism training uh, courses in my life. I mean, you name it, I've been through it. And those training tools are so important to help you to have a framework in which to share certain truths about the gospel and lead people to saving faith in Christ. They're, they're very helpful to have verses to memorize and questions to ask and ways to turn the, the conversation in a spiritual direction. Those are very, very important. But listen to me. If we're amazed by Jesus, evangelism will take care of itself. Instead of evangelism being us asking some questions and going through a canned presentation, evangelism is the overflow of my personal relationship with Christ. If you look there in your notes, if we are amazed by him, we will tell others about him in a way that is natural and compelling, not forced and canned. I'll be honest with you. I've been trained in evangelism courses. There have been times I've shared Jesus in a very forced, canned way. Now, God honors that. He honors the sharing of the gospel. And, and so, you know, I, I get that. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful he's been gracious with me. But isn't evangelism more than just a canned presentation? Evangelism should be the overflow of our walk with Jesus. We are so amazed by Jesus, so excited about what he's doing in our life that we can't help but talk about him to others. That, my dear friends, is compelling evangelism that will change the world, that will reach our nation, that will make a difference in your family and in your workplace and in your school. Not just sharing a few quick verses, 
but saying, let me tell you what Christ has done for me. And let me show you from the Bible what he can do for you. He is amazing, and I want you to know him the way I know him. I want you to be saved the way I've been saved. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I want you to taste too. I want you to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. He's changed my life, and he'll change your life too. That, my dear friends, is evangelism when you're amazed. See the difference there? And so Chuck Lawless writes in his devotion, which you read this morning, if you had the book, that's the way the Great Commission works. Believers who are amazed by Jesus tell others, and they in turn are amazed. But, listen, when we lose our amazement, however, our Great Commission passion disappears. For some of you, he's talking about you in that sentence. When we lose our amazement, our great commission passion disappears. When was the last time you were amazed by Jesus to such a degree that you couldn't help, you couldn't help but open up your mouth and say something about Jesus to somebody else? When's the last time you were amazed to that degree? Be amazed. 